I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, we're celebrating because one of the best shows on TV has finally returned. We'll break down the first two episodes of Better Call Saul. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. I saw two very wintry movies this week. I'll review Downhill and Togo. Big news this week about one of the most famous characters in movie history, Indiana Jones. Let's begin. Better Call Saul Season 5 debuted on AMC this past week. This season on Better Call Saul. There's no amount of money that is worth this. I only want justice. You twerps even know who I am? Oh, Mr. Goodman. You're the guy with a mouth. You want me to take care of it? I am Saul Goodman. They kicked it off with two episodes last Sunday and Monday on AMC, and now it'll be on every Sunday night. I was surprised how into it I was. It usually takes me a bit to get into Saul every season. Usually, I think, because it can start pretty slow and I have to get reacquainted with its very deliberate pacing and rhythm. And I don't know if they're doing something different or maybe a bit more urgency to get on with the story as it is the second last season. Or maybe I'm just that used to it now that I picked up uh, what they were laying on laying down a lot quicker. Both episodes, I thought, flew by. I'm one of these people who's constantly checking the clock and the timeline on the TV and they went to one break and I thought my gosh the show is maybe 15 minutes in but it was almost 40 minutes in so I'm sure there probably only been three scenes at that point they do nice long scenes in that show I did have to pause it quite a few times to look up who was who what the story had been up to that point from other seasons and stuff like that after all it's been a year and a half since the show was on I didn't recognize Crazy 8 for example or pick up on the Spanish version of his name when they called him Ocho Loco and I sort of feared for his life and then I looked him up. I was like, oh, yeah, he's in Breaking Bad. So he's going to be around for the rest of Better Call Saul anyways. Um, it does look like they're finally getting to sort of both sides of the show, c- getting connected to each other again. It really feels like there's been two different shows. They got the Saul Jimmy stuff and then the drug cartel stuff. It's kind of weird, but it also makes sense just because of the origins of how it all will hook up into Breaking Bad. So I, I was thrilled to have break, uh, Better Call Saul back. Yeah, it was it was tremendous. And I, I had forgotten. I knew it was coming. Yeah. I knew February 23rd was the date, but you texted me on Sunday <laughs> to right. say, Better Call Saul is back tonight. And I kind of panicked because... I got that text at 6.30, and it was airing at, I believe, 9 p.m. Uh, our time yeah. uh, before it b- moves into its regular. So it had Sunday and then Monday, and Monday is its regular. Oh, Monday's a regular day? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was Sunday for some reason. Yeah, it'll be Mondays at uh, 9, 8 Central, uh, as it says on AMC's website. But uh, So I, I was able to get home in time to set the PVR. Didn't watch it Sunday night. I waited until Monday so I could watch them back to back but i think i had said a nice long recap would be helpful yeah and it was not a nice long recap no. and it wasn't helpful <laughs> at all it, it i think the recap went on for like 30 seconds maybe even a minute but when you take a year and a half off i don't understand why these shows can't provide a significant recap i suppose maybe the fear is especially for a show that's airing on can, on cable Right. Yeah. There's maybe a fear that there'll be a tune out factor. People will just say, well, can we just get on with the show so they don't bother wasting any time? They just want to get right into it. But then you did end up doing like you did, where you have to pause it half the yeah. time, you know, multiple times to figure out who's this person. What's the deal? I can't remember the storyline. I don't know. And the times are all nutty on the show. Like it started at like 8.02 and went till 9.17. You know what I mean? So I don't know. At 7.57, run a five minute 
last time on Better Call Saul thing, like you said there. And it's, yeah, it's it's bizarre that they don't do that. And I know with AMC in particular, they do a lot of stuff like that for The Walking Dead. They will have just like these random little 10-minute blurbs pop up to fill holes in their schedule. Like sometimes I'll check my PVR and I've got this little featurette on the next season of The Walking Dead or what have you. So I don't know why they don't do that for Better Call Saul. Or maybe they have been. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was just thinking. And I'm wondering if maybe they have been and I've just missed it because I hadn't set my PVR yet for Better Call Saul, so I didn't have a series recording set up. So no. maybe they have done it. I no, don't know. I have a series recording set up, and that's how I got a. That's how I remembered it was on Sunday. I was just looking at the what was scheduled on my PVR. It's like, oh, Better Call Saul's on in like three hours. Oh, just don't take a year and a half off. That's insane, especially with a show like that because it does not hold your hand at all. And if they're not going to do a last time on Better Call Saul, they're they don't they're not going to have. A character step up into the frame and just conveniently say everything that's happened in his life the last two months to some other character and help you out like that. Like, they're just talking about Werner. I was like, who's Werner? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's right. They had all those German guys here last time. Yeah. And that sort of thing. They can't expect us to remember a year and a half later everything that happened and all of the nuanced details. I sort of remember the broad strokes. But yeah. still, with that gripe aside, <laughs> I was so happy, so happy to have Better Call Saul back. And uh, the thing I like the most and uh, we've long celebrated is the deliberate pacing and patience and care that they put into each shot. Yep. You know, they don't rush through things. There's a lot of really slow kind of panning camera movements or, you know, there's one scene where they you see these guys way off in the distance come out of this warehouse and then they start walking towards the camera and they just hold it there for a good 10 seconds. So I love that. I love that this is a show that takes its time but doesn't drag its feet if that makes sense like the story moves along nicely and there's always continuous character development one thing i will say is the whole changeover to saul goodman yeah i don't know if underwhelming is the word i want to use but i think i i guess i was expecting that change to be this kind of big awesome climactic moment and it but i think it sort of fits in with how this show and Breaking Bad has done things where they just kind of were like, well, now he saw Goodman and whatever. It's not that big of a deal, which I suppose makes sense because he has to. We're now seeing him begin his transformation into yeah. the, the, tr- the full sleazebag Saul Goodman yeah, in Breaking Bad. A lot of stuff is like, oh, yeah, that's how he was on Breaking Bad, just like that, talking a mile a minute and just, he's like, I don't care. Oh, six months, eight months, whatever, whatever. Let's just get it over with and move on to the next thing. And his, uh, the cell phones and 50% off, like whoever heard of a lawyer having a 50% off sale, you know? Yeah. Like stuff like that is just insane. And it's a lot of the fun, yeah, the fun part of Better Call Saul coming out. I also really liked at the beginning... They, at the beginning of every season, they have the black and white scenes uh, yep. from the future, from the post-Breaking Bad. The rest of the show is a prequel to Breaking Bad, and then each season has a scene that's after Breaking Bad. And this one had a really long one. That was like 10 or 15 minutes yep. or something like that. And it set up some stuff about him maybe because he's like in his own self-imposed witness protection program where he's changed his identity again and moved somewhere else and he's um, he's got made by a guy and maybe he's going to have to burn his identity and that sort of thing. And that had a scene like you're talking about the cinematography where his car driving down the highway and they just attach the camera to the back bumper and it's just a shot of the license plate but you could see the background whizzing by and I was like and that was for like for 10 seconds I was like this is awesome. I was, this was, now I remember why I like to show so much. It was cool because it was like two minutes into the show. And then 
that also brought they brought back Robert Forster for that because he was the guy from Breaking Bad who was if you needed to get disappeared he was the guy you called. Yep. And I was I and it's his final screen role I believe because he's been passed away about a year ago at least. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, and I read a thing with Vince Gilligan or one of the other producers that said because uh, they were brought him back for El Camino, mm-hmm. Robert, and the Better Call Saul guys were like. Hey, they had this other scene written with him on the just on the phone, and they're like, "Oh, if they're rebuilding the set and he's coming in for El Camino, why don't the Breaking Bad movie on Netflix last year? Why don't we just uh, do the paperwork and get him into a scene in Better Call Saul because it's different? It wasn't a Netflix thing and blah 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 blah. But they managed to figure it all out, get the all the right paper signed that they could just like shoot their one scene with Robert Forster and it made their scene look that much better. That's cool. Yeah. And, and again, I, I like those scenes and I'm curious to see how it's going to play out. But again, I don't remember what happened in the black and white scene that opened yeah. season four. Yeah. They showed like a cab and a little Albuquerque thing. And I was like, what? And I paused, looked up. Oh, that's right. The guy in the cab was from Albuquerque and thought he recognized him from Albuquerque, even though they're in, where are they? Omaha, Nebraska, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so that was cool. And then I was thinking, because it's second last season, I was like, how are they going to wrap up this? This is for next year or two years from now, whenever they get around to ending it. Are they going to do like a whole s- episode in black and white for the post Breaking Bad to wrap up the Gene story and the Cinnabon story or whatever? Because... It seems like they're going to have to do something, like that's going to have to have a, a period at the end of it, because that's the end of a story, right? Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine that the series will close with uh, that particular saga wrapping yeah. up, which I'm sure is not going to go well, but we have two <laughs> seasons to enjoy, and uh, so happy that Better Call Saul is back, because yep. it really is. If you haven't watched it yet, you can watch it. I think it's, a, what is it, Netflix that has Better Call Saul? Yeah, they got a lot on, yeah, all the old seasons are on there. And at this point, you know, with so many of our other shows ending in the last few years, this is really for my money, the best show on TV right now. Yeah, it, it truly is. It's it's not just a good story. This is a show that, that really embraces and exploits the art form of television. So that's why nerds like me and Jeff get super excited about this because this isn't just a good show. This is excellent television. It's TV at its finest. So we highly recommend Better Call Saul if you have not yet watched it. Uh, but of course, if you haven't watched Breaking Bad, it would probably help <laughs> if you watch that too. That's a lot of TV. I know that's a commitment. It's a big commitment, but trust us, it is one that you will appreciate. Up next, we're going to tell you what's coming to home video and still to come, Jeff's going to review Downhill. You're listening to the couch potatoes welcome back to the couch potatoes i'm jeff he's brad a quick look now at what's coming to home video all right richard this might be the only way to clear your name say there's a bomb in centennial park you have 30 minutes my son is not the bomber he saved people's lives i do want to help y'all there is a bomb in centennial park you have 30 minutes the fbi is looking at richard Jewell. these kids get railroaded it's like your client is guilty as hell. You're going to start fighting back? Richard Jewell, a Clint Eastwood film, rated R. Richard Jewell, uh, Digital HD, Tuesday, March 3rd. Based on the true story of a security guard, Richard Jewell, at the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta, he found a bomb in a park just before it went off and saved dozens of lives in the process. He's played by Paul Walter Hauser, Sam Rockwell's his lawyer, Kathy Bates is his mom, and John Hamm is the FBI guy who thinks that Paul Walter Hauser, or Richard Jewell may have planted that bomb. There's also a journalist played by Olivia Wilde. That's the real problem with this movie. It's an excellent movie, except that journalist 
character is just wrong and bad on so many levels. Um, it's Clint Eastwood's had a lot of pretty bad movies the last few years. This one, aside from that one gripe, is a very good movie. I gave it four Coach Cushions out of five when I saw it. And that's it? That's the one notable thing coming to home video? That's it, yeah. It's a... <laughs> Weak list. It's a quiet, li- it's a weak <laughs> list for the week of Tuesday, March 3rd. All right, well, speaking of home video, we can move now into a different kind of home video. That would be streaming, that would be Netflix, because last week, Jeff, yep. you told us about three shows that you've started watching on Netflix Lock and Key, The Stranger, and Ragnarok. So it's a Norwegian show. You described it more or less as being like Smallville, but instead of Superman, it's the Thor. hero is Thor. That's yeah. right, the mighty Thor. So right away, I was interested <laughs> because I'm a nerd. I like superhero stuff. I love Thor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I just enjoy watching shows from other countries. I've you know I, I, I've told you about the Icelandic show that I like, Trapped. There's a show from Turkey called The Protector, which is actually season three of that comes out on March 6th, I believe, so the next week. So pumped for that. Uh, so I checked it out right away, and I plowed through all six episodes. How far in are you? I'm, I'm three, and I'm half halfway done. Okay. So to recap, high school kid Magna returns to his hometown with his mom and brother, and when they get there, he starts to feel different. He doesn't need his glasses anymore. He's faster. He's stronger. He can throw a hammer real far. It would seem he is somehow the god of thunder, Thor. And I really enjoyed this show, but I do need to point out there are times where it just gets downright stupid. Like the main bad guy, for example, every time he does his bad guy thing, takes his shirt off. (laughs) And at first it works because it indicates he's getting in touch with his old self. He's kind of unleashing the beast within. And he's out in nature when he does that. Like hunting a wild animal with his bare hands or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that sort of makes sense. It's like, oh, this guy's going to turn into a wolf or something at some point. I I figured. I don't he may or may not yet, but there's, yeah, the, it, it, so he just keeps taking his shirt off. Yeah, so it made sense in when he was out in nature, but then there are times where he's in the kitchen and, he, and something happens, he takes his shirt off. Or there, and then there's a squabble in the living room, he takes his shirt off. It just keeps happening over and over to the point where it just loses all power and becomes laughable. And he has a wife and two kids, and uh, they're a family, quote-unquote family, but obviously there's something supernatural about these people. There's a scene where they're all in the bathroom while he's going to the bathroom, and I was, and I was just like... There's parts of this where I'm like, is that a Thor supernatural thing or is that just a Norwegian thing? Yeah. And then sometimes because it's set in a high school, I'm like, or is that just a modern day teenage thing that I don't know about? (laughs) So I've been trying to put some of the pieces together. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, there's this weird sort of sexy dance that the brother (laughs) and sister do. And I don't... I meant to look into that, like, to, to, to just Google it to see if anybody had any thoughts. Because I did see one quick th- quick comment about it saying, this is kind of a strange high school dance thing going on here. But, uh, so I, I don't know if that's a cultural thing or yeah, if it's just exactly. to show how weird these people are. Uh, and another gripe for me, too, it was just not enough Thor stuff. I mean, you can't have a show about young Thor, at least I think, and not have it have Thor make an appearance. Uh, at least it's one thing, like if, if a show is specifically designed like Gotham, right. Or Smallville, which yeah, was meant to be the, the, the history of that character as a young person, as they eventually grow up and become Batman or Superman. So I totally get that. But in this, they tease right from the get go. Like this is Thor and we need Thor to save the day. Right. Uh, so there wasn't enough Thor stuff, but 
the way the season ends, it's clear that they are hoping to use this series as a launch pad for something bigger. I was just hoping to see Magda do more stuff as Thor, but it does tease us just enough to make us want more, and it doesn't take away from the quality of the show. I mean, I like it. I hope we get more. I thought it was cool. I saw one review that likened it to Twilight, the Twilight Saga. Oh. And I guess I can kind of see that because it's sort of gloomy and moody and there's a lot of teenage angst that was sort of in that same vein. But yeah. uh, I, I don't know that I would quite go that far. I, I like how he's also kind of dumb and it just like it takes a minor spoil. Like he's I'm three episodes in and he's just like, oh. I can run fast. It's like, <laughs> you threw a hammer really far and it took you this long to figure out that you could run fast? It's just weird. Up next, Jeff's got a review of the latest movie from Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Will Ferrell. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He is Brett. And Brett, last week you talked about two movies starring our man Liam Neeson, both set in the winter, Cold Pursuit and a rewatch of The Grey. Correct. So this week I saw two movies set in the winter. And now that I think of it, Ragnarok's pretty much set in the winter too, isn't it? The yeah. TV show. Um, I saw a couple of movies, one in theater, one on Disney+. Plus. Let's start in the theater. It bombed hard, both with the critics and at the box office. But that didn't stop me from seeing Downhill, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Will Ferrell. Maybe we ski the beast after lunch. I don't think it'll be that challenging. It'll be fine. Is that okay? Yeah, it's it's fine. It looked like it was going to kill us. For a moment. The kids were screaming because it felt like we were going to die. Wow. And I look over at Pete, and he had grabbed his phone. Pete left us. Will Ferrell and Julia Louis-Dreyfus have a near-death experience in an avalanche in Downhill. That avalanche was bearing down on them. Ferrell grabbed his phone and fled, leaving his wife and children behind. Now, Downhill comes from writer-directors Nat Faxon and Jim Rash, who won writing Oscars for the George Clooney movie The Descendants back in 2012. Technically, it's a remake of a Swedish movie from 2014 called Force Majeure, which is at 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Downhill, meantime, is 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. A lot of the critics seem to be penalizing downhill simply by the fact that it's not as good as force majeure so i tried going in with an open mind but yeah it's not great my girlfriend and i did laugh a few times but not many and we laughed more than most of the rest of the audience the movie is simply that will ferrell commits that cowardly act and then julia louis dreyfus is mad at him for the rest of the movie and the family vacation is super awkward it's a pretty weak story and the character beats aren't strong enough to save it nor sadly is the comedy so many of the jokes just fall flat. Now, there's probably a half-decent movie in there somewhere. Well, we know there is because that French movie is, by all accounts, terrific. But Downhill just feels half-baked. The tone never gets comfortable with itself. It feels like they're trying to decide if they should pivot to make it more dramatic or more comedic, and they can't commit either way. I, I like movies that are both dramatic and comedic, but there has to be sort of a confidence in that kind of filmmaking, and this just doesn't have it. It's kind of slow, too, which is weird, because it's only 85 minutes long, uh, which is about the very bare minimum length a movie should be. Uh, the number 85 is too low, actually, but it didn't feel short. I don't know. It's frustrating, because everyone involved is so talented. The actors obviously have proven time and time again that they can handle just about anything thrown their way, and like I said, those guys 
the writer-directors won an Oscar before, so they know how to write, but it just doesn't come out in this downhill remake. Two and a half couch cushions out of five. Uh, one fun fact, Christopher Hivju, Hivju, he played Dormin, Tormund Giantsbane from Game of Thrones. Yep. From Beyond the Wall, I used to call him Big Red, the guy with the bushy beard. He's in both Force Majeure and Downhill. Fun. But different roles. Okay, and I'm just looking at the box office for this Yeah, I was going to look that up. Seven, so this came out on Valentine's Day, and its opening weekend was $4.6 million, and it's only at a worldwide total of $7.7 million. Yikes! That's terrible. For two big stars like that, you would think that just their names alone would bring in yeah. more. But I think this also, it, it also, I think, showcases how savvy moviegoers are now. They're paying attention to what people are saying, and if, if it's doesn't get the the good headlines going in people don't bother wasting their time no because there's so many other things you can do with your time at this point uh, it is a sort of like an indie movie so i guess it didn't get a big huge marketing push like a major motion picture would it's from uh what used to be fox searchlight pictures i noticed the thing just said searchlight pictures now mm. but it did have the fox fanfare music that we enjoy so much oh nice so there's you can still hear that in the theater sometimes you go to the right movie yeah. all right so that's downhill don't bother with that. Wait until it's free on cable or Netflix or something like that. I did watch another movie set in the snow this week on Disney+. Plus. It's called Togo. He's undersized. He's untrainable. What does he bring to the breed? The heart of a survivor. I always thought he lived for the sled. What he lived for me. I got Togo! Run! Disney's Togo, rated PG. Willem Dafoe stars in this true story about a man in Alaska and his sled dogs. The lead dog is Togo, and they embark on quite an adventure. It's the true story of the 1925 Alaskan serum run where a series of sledders relayed diphtheria medicine several hundred miles through a storm to save some sick kids. While Togo and Dafoe are on their run, they cut in flashbacks to when Togo first came to Dafoe as a young pup. He runs a dog sledding business, Dafoe that is, a breeding and training sled dogs. Togo's a run of a litter. Defoe writes him off, but Togo's determined to be a sled dog and has a boundless supply of energy. There's a whole Turner and Hooch Marley and Me thing where the human is exasperated by the dog who breaks a bunch of stuff and never listens to him. Now, it is a Disney movie streaming on Disney+, Plus, so it is very much a family film. I watch it with my girlfriend and her kids, the youngest of whom is six. Everyone had a good time, and even though there are some intense scenes and events, nothing that kids can't handle, it seems. I will say it was super weird seeing Willem Dafoe in a family-friendly movie and playing a good guy to boot, like, the Willem Dafoe shows up on screen, and I immediately don't trust him in it. But, you know, so I was like, okay, it's a Disney movie. He's not going to kill all these dogs, is he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, he's a good guy. I'll buy it. He's, and he's a very good good guy. He's a, a very likable guy. He's he's kind of gruff or whatever, but he's, he's, he's a nice guy in this movie. Unlike the new theatrical movie called The Wild with Harrison Ford, Togo, the movie, uses real dogs. Well, I think there's a mix of real and some CGI for some of the stuntier bits, but it looks good. The movie also does a great job of showing how dangerous life in the Arctic can be. We couldn't handle it. 
And this is set, like I said, in the 20s, so they are really on their own out in the elements. It is too long of a movie, though. It's over two hours, and I found some scenes dragged on for too long or were too slow. So if they give this movie a good trim, it would make it even more fun. It's not high art or anything, but overall, it is a fun adventure story. The whole family can enjoy three couch cushions out of five for Togo on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. The critics' consensus, an endearing and exciting underdog story. Yeah underdog story that benefits greatly from its stars canine and human alike togo is a timeless tale well told yep so that's cool and i didn't realize that that movie was just for disney plus so i'll have to check that out because i have not made use of my disney plus in quite a while i have made use of my netflix i should just quickly tell you here uh, because i started telling you about it last week the netflix movie starring ryan reynolds directed by michael bay six underground we've lost our ability to pretend We've been looking for a special operator like you for a while. Who are you? We do the dirty work, others can't. Here's the fun part. Now on, you're dead. It's all erased. No more criminal records, no more getting arrested just for being naked or just usual stuff, you know, being naked, getting drunk, casual stuff. So we're all gonna die. Last week, I'd only watched a half hour or so of it, and it was jammed with so much action, I actually had to stop and take a breather, and I just didn't get back to watching it immediately. I did finish it the next day, and uh, so I will give you the follow-up here. I'm a little shocked to say that I liked this movie, because... Michael Bay. I just generally don't expect anything good from him anymore. Quick recap. Ryan Reynolds is a billionaire. He's put together this secret team to do covert military type stuff, but they're operating off the grid. They don't work for anybody. There's a spy. There's an assassin. There's a doctor. There's a sniper. There's a parkour guy. Because why not? He's the one who's (laughs) talking about getting drunk and getting naked. And in this movie, they're trying to take down a dictator. So if you're looking for a quality film, look elsewhere. If you need something big, loud, dumb, and fun, because sometimes you got to come home from work and you just think, I just want to turn off my brain and watch something stupid, this is it. The action is honestly among the best I think I've ever seen. And that, that could be, I might be saying that because I'm surprised at the production level that this is a Netflix movie and wasn't a major theatrical release. So many cars get destroyed. Lots of practical effects, which I enjoyed. Michael Bay does like his explosions. And it's also just extremely colorful. Like, it's almost like watching a rainbow sort of come to life and barf all over the screen. Like, it's just <laughs> a genuine... Yeah, and then it explodes. It's just a genuine pleasure to watch. It's a real visual feast but like i said it's dumb it's a michael bay movie he knows his brand he does it well so i'll give six underground three and a half couch cushions out of five it's just for the sheer entertainment action factor i actually want to watch it again that's how much i enjoyed the visual component and the action in this like the first 20 minutes are overwhelmingly exhausting which is i think a testament to michael bay how he he hey he does action well yeah can't do anything else hey you convinced me i'm putting it on my list right now okay (laughs) up next we got to share the big news this week about indiana
You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We've been talking about Indiana Jones news. Here it is. He has to face his next adventure without a familiar accomplice, as we hear from reporter Jason Nathanson. Steven Spielberg won't be directing the upcoming Indiana Jones movie. Oh, rats. Spielberg's directed all four previous Indiana Jones films and was supposed to helm number five, but Variety says Spielberg is stepping back, and Ford v. Ferrari director James Mangold's in talks for the gig. Harrison Ford reportedly still on board. No word if the film is still on track for a summer 2020 release date. Well, it was never going to come out in 2020. I think that's just an error on his part. Yeah. Because that's his summer. Yeah. No kidding. No. 2022, I would say, would be about the earliest. A few weeks ago, Harrison Ford did say that they were going to start making it in a couple of months. But now that they've switched directors, who knows? That could take... It's got to set them back at least a little bit. So I don't know. You think it's a good thing to... I mean, Spielberg, Spielberg. James Mangold's a very good director. He also made Logan and uh, Walk the Line. So... I mean, he knows what he's doing in Ford versus Ferraris. As I've been babbling on about for a few months, is just terrific. And he, I frankly think he is underappreciated after watching that. But Spielberg is Spielberg. Well, just as I, I, I got to share this before, for, before I, I get distracted and forget, uh, I Googled Indiana Jones just to, to see what comes up here in headlines. And there's one headline from the Dawson Creek Mirror. And it says, Indiana Jones and the Chalice of Metamucil. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's something. Someone talking about any uh, Harrison Ford's age, perhaps. But I don't have a problem with Spielberg not being involved. I mean, it seems weird because he's been with that series since the beginning. When did Raiders come out? Was it like 81? I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so 40 years of Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford with George Lucas uh, serves as producer, right? Yeah, it was his idea to begin with. Yeah. So, but I, I have no problem with a new director coming in and injecting new ideas or a new, dire- new direction to the series. I think we both admit that when the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out, we were overexcited to to with our reviews because we were just so happy to see Indiana yeah, yeah. Jones on the big screen again. But when I went back and watched it again, I thought that wasn't really good, and the ending no. was downright awful. I can't stand the ending of that movie, and. All of the CGI effects. I just I don't know what Steven Spielberg was thinking. So maybe it's good. Yeah, I would say if this was uh, 1995 and the last Indiana Jones movie was The Last Crusade, and we got this news, we'd be much more bummed about it. Yeah. But like you said, that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. When a Blockbuster went out of business, I bought a copy of that for two dollars and fifty cents, I believe, <laughs> and I've still not yet watched it again. Really? Yeah. So I own that thing, and I've seen it once in theaters. Wow. Yeah, I went back and watched it. There are parts of it I like. It. I don't hate that movie it just it was in hindsight it was not very good and i don't know that that's spielberg's fault but and honestly what are they gonna do with this fifth movie like he's 77 years old now yeah well hopefully they don't try to bring in another shia labeouf kind of character i think the idea was that they they were gonna pass the torch well there's another thing here harrison ford spills the beans about indiana jones 5 clickbait that's he's not saying anything yeah you know talk of indiana jones 5 is older than an egyptian mummy but uh, I guess the only news that he dropped is that the new movie is good to go and shooting is <laughs> set to start in a matter of months. So okay, uh, maybe they'll do like a Scorsese and the Irishman and just have, try and age him down a little bit, but he'll still move all awkwardly like uh, 
like De Niro did when he was young De Niro in the Irish. <laughs> <laughs> young De Niro. That, that's what we got to look forward to with Indiana Jones 5. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, hopefully it works out. Hey, I'll just quickly mention this here. On the subject of Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones style movies, from the I watched a random movie this week file, yeah. was scrolling through the movies on Crave, and I found one from March 2018 that I always wanted to watch, Tomb Raider. I think I know where my dad went. That's right in the middle of the Devil's Sea. It'll be an adventure. Death is not an adventure. So Alicia Vikander plays Lara Croft, the video game hero who dates back to the mid-1990s. Angelina Jolie previously played the character in 2001's Lara Croft Tomb Raider and in 2003's Lara Croft Tomb Raider The Cradle of Life, which, by the way, Jeff starred Gerard Butler. Oh. Yeah. Those movies took place after Lara was already an established Tomb Raider, an established adventurer. Both of those movies got lousy reviews, 20% for the first one, 25 for the second one. So this new film happens at the beginning beginning of all that and it looked like it would tell take itself a little bit more seriously than those previous two films i didn't mind the angelina jolie movies they were fun but they were campy uh i've never played a tomb raider video game so i have no loyalty to the series i have no idea how the movies compare this new one was the best reviewed of the three mo- of the three films but not by much, 52% hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, I would say it's good, not great. Alicia Vikander was excellent as an action star, especially as a character who hasn't yet mastered her skills. She's not yet the first, or she's not yet the Tomb Raider. She's This is her first adventure, but I really dug Vikander. So I would like to see more, but I think this just is an example of how... Indiana Jones movies are the gold standard right. for adventure films like okay. this. Hmm. We got about uh, 90 seconds left. Let's talk James Bond. Yeah, new detail released this week about the upcoming Bond movie, No Time to Die. This is it. This is it. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of him. James Bond, I've made you redundant. Not as long as there are people like you in the world. The detail released this week, the length, no time to die, your butt will die from numbness, two hours and 43 minutes. Come on. For a James Bond movie. Now, let's put that in perspective. That is one minute longer than The English Patient was. (laughs) Okay. It's not quite as long as Braveheart, Titanic, or Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, which was three hours, 21 minutes, but it is by far the longest James Bond movie. I think it's 20 minutes longer than the longer, other longest one, I think was Casino Royale. So that is just nuts. Why would an action-adventure movie like that need to be that long? That's all the time we have this week. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, do so wherever you find your favorite podcast. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.